Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. Daniel chapter 6. So for many of you that grew up in church, this is a story of Daniel and the lion's den. So you grew up in church, you probably did a little craft, had a paper plate, put some yarn on it to make it look like a lion. Well, the story is not about the lion, the story is about Daniel. And the story with Daniel is, is very unique in the fact that Daniel was stuck between a rock and a hard place. I don't know about you, but being stuck between a rock and a hard place could be a season of life where you just feel stuck. Like no matter which way you turn, there's nowhere to go. No matter what you do, it doesn't seem to work out. No matter what you do, no matter which decision you make, there seems to be no escape. No matter what you do, it seems failure is always the only option. It feels like you're stuck. It feels like you're, you're trapped and there's no way to look out. Daniel's stuck in a pit with a lion that's been sealed with a stone. No matter which way he turns, there's no good option. And in life, many times there's seasons which it seems there's no good option. It feels like you're stuck in your tracks. It feels like no matter what you do, the walls are caving in on you. I felt that way after driving in the car with our kids for 23 hours all together last week. 12 hours there, 11 hours back. I'm driving in the snow. I'm a southerner. If there's a snowflake, you have to be careful. Six inches of snow, the kids, well, I thought, you, know, you become teenagers, you mature into your traveling abilities. 14-year-old, 16-year-old, and 12-year-old kids fighting over the imaginary line of demarcation in the truck. They're creating their own little DMZs in the back seat and yelling, so-and-so's crossing my seat, her butt's on my seat. Like, why are we talking about body parts? So I'm frustrated, I'm trying to focus, I'm trying to drive, take care of my family, get us from point A to point B as quickly as possible. I know the GPS says you'll arrive at, at 1047. My goal is to beat that number no matter what it may say. <laughs> I'm looking out the windshield, I got kids fighting in the back and I'm, and, and I'm stuck. And I'm thinking to myself, toys in the passenger seat, why don't she do something about it? <laughs> so then I started thinking, well, maybe she's just more patient, more long-suffering than I am, and maybe I'm a bad parent. Maybe I'm just getting frustrated for no reason. So I look over at my sweet wife, trying to figure out how she's so patient, only to see she had headphones on in the car. <laughs> like, I didn't even know that was legal as a parent. Like she's drowning out all the noise, listening to worship music. She's in the presence of God. I'm in the presence of hell at the moment. <laughs> so for you, it may not be stuck in the car with four teenagers, but it may be a season of life where you feel stuck. You don't fit in wherever you're at. As a high schooler, you don't seem to fit in with the, the crowd around you. And it feels like the walls are caving in. You're getting lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. For some of you, maybe you're in a business. You don't know which way to turn with your business. There's pressure from your employees and pressure from your customers. And maybe as a leader in school, you're trying to teach the kids. There's pressure from the, the kids, pressure from the parents, pressure from the administration, the school board. And it just seems like the walls are caving in. This is where Daniel found himself at. It wasn't just the lion in the lion's den. 
He had people that he was leading who were putting pressure on him to change who he was. Then he had the king establishing laws to prevent him from being who he is. In life, you're always gonna find pressure, always gonna find pressure. When you start becoming who God has called you to be, you'll find pressure from other people trying to prevent you from becoming everything God destined you to be. That's why the people that get baptized, as soon as you get baptized, your friends will start trying to talk you back into going to your old life. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, people start trying to talk you out of following Jesus. Why? Because your passion will reveal their complacency. And Daniel finds himself all alone in this place. If you would stand to your feet as we read Daniel chapter six together. It's a couple of scriptures, you know, it's the whole chapter. So just, if you take a nap, take a nap right now. Verse one, it says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them the three high officials whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps would give account so the king might suffer no loss. Daniel is a vice president of the entire country. Three vice presidents, not only that, he's basically a POW. He's a refugee that the, the, the Nebuchadnezzar had taken over his country of, of Judah. He brought him in as a refugee into his country. This is the equivalent of a refugee from Mexico or Syria or Jordan or Afghanistan coming to America as a prisoner of war and becoming the vice president. It's amazing the trajectory of his leadership. And it says then, he says, then this Daniel became distinguished. Everybody say distinguished. Above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. I'm telling you, your character is pretty high if the only thing they can find against you is how faithful you are. It says, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. Always be careful of people that start with flattery. When somebody starts talking to you with flattery, oh, you're so awesome, you're so amazing. I try to tell my daughters, if the first thing the guy says to you is you're beautiful or you're hot, it's the wrong guy. Because flattery is always a key to try to unlock a door. And these evil men came to the king, oh, glorious king. When people flatter you, they're always trying to manipulate you. Now there's a difference between honor and love, but when they start flattering you, they're trying to get something from you. And it says that the king, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors agree that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any God or man for 30 days except to you, O king, again the flattery, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Always be careful of what you agree to when somebody's flattering you because they're trying to get you to make a commitment based on an emotional high rather than based on faith or logic or reasoning. 
So Daniel, when he knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He had no benefit. It was against the law. It was going to cost him everything, but he didn't change anything from day one to day two just because people didn't like it. When you have convictions, your convictions don't change based upon the people around you. They stand out based upon the people around you. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition. That word petition means asking for grace or favor. He's asking for grace from God for the situation he's in and he made a plea before God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning this injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and, and, Persians, and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then this king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till sun when, Dan, when it came down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king again and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. You know, it's, it's a terrible thing when you make an open-ended promise not knowing the consequences thereof. Daniel was special to this king and he made a promise to these other people not realizing it was gonna impact Daniel. Now his heart is heavy. You gotta be very careful with your commitments and your words in life because they will always come back to haunt you. Verse 16, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent all night fasting with no diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then, everybody say then. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, oh Daniel, Servant of the living God. It's amazing how his terminology has changed. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said, now I'd be scared to death. You throw a dude in a cave with lions and you're talking to the stone into the dark and all of a sudden a voice comes out. And he says this way, the king declared, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded Daniel be taken out of the den. So he was taken up out of the den because no harm was found because of him. Then the king commanded those men, everybody say those men. That means the people that are against you, the people plotting, the people conspiring against you. He took those men and put them into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke them into pieces. This story, everybody's against Daniel because Daniel is special. 
Daniel's set apart. Daniel is different. Daniel is extraordinary. Daniel's not one of the, the Babylonians or the Persians. He's Jewish and he's looked at through racism, through he's a refugee, through he's a POW, and the walls are caving in. But it's amazing that when the walls start caving in, we start to really discover who Daniel is. Father, we love you. And we thank you that your word is true. Your word is authority to us. Your word is strong. But Father, we thank you that your word is alive. And that Father, every person in this room has Daniel qualities. They have an extraordinary spirit within them. They have a leadership spirit within them. And Father, I pray through the pressing, through the difficult times between a rock and a hard place, you will reveal to them all the great qualities, all the purposes and all the destinies you've placed inside of them. So Father, open up our eyes, our minds, our hearts and our spirits to who we are in you this morning. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Daniel is stuck in a crazy situation. Daniel is a leader. Daniel is a, a strong character individual. Daniel is a predicament. He's all alone by himself. And I'm gonna tell you this, this story is not about the lions, it's about the leadership of Daniel even when no one is following him. And leadership is this, leadership is ordinary people who discover their extraordinary potential when they find themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Touch your neighbor and say extraordinary. Leaders are not the most charismatic people. In our culture, we think leaders are the charismatic, they're talented, they're gifted. That's not what a leader is. A leader is somebody who is an ordinary person. Every person in this room is ordinary. Touch your other neighbor and say, you're just ordinary. Touch your other neighbor and say, you're less than ordinary. <laughs> leaders are ordinary. Daniel was an ordinary person. He was a refugee, uneducated, untrained, untalented. He was an ordinary person, but he had an extraordinary potential placed inside of him because he was made in the image of God. He discovered that amazing, extraordinary potential when he faced circumstances that were not ordinary. They were extraordinary. And you, everybody in this room has extraordinary potential placed inside of you. Every single person. You are made in the image of God and God is a leader. God is a change agent. God is not a follower. God makes things happen. God doesn't let the environment impact him. He impacts his environment. Every single person in this room God has placed extraordinary potential, purpose, and destiny inside of you. But you probably won't discover it until you're stuck between the rock and the hard place. See, it's between the rock and the hard place that you have to make a decision if you're going to give up and go backwards or you're going to stand up and fight. It's in the rock and the hard place that you really discover who you are. It's in between the rock and the hard place. You find out what's deep inside of you because it's that squeezing or that pressing that starts pressing on you, that starts to release things that you did not know were there. Every great leader we've ever seen, we would not know who they were if it wasn't for the extraordinary circumstances they faced. Dr. King, if he wasn't facing the protests and the arrest and the fights and the abuse and the persecution with these extraordinary circumstances, we wouldn't know who he was. We would know him as a preacher. 
Abraham Lincoln, if it wasn't an extraordinary circumstance of civil war, we wouldn't know who he was as a president. You start going through every great leader faced extraordinary circumstances and discovered that God had placed something special inside of them. See, it's that pressing, that breaking, that squeezing that helps you know what God already knows. God already knows what's inside of you, but you have no idea the depths of the potential you have. And God will allow you to go through these pressing seasons, these moments between a rock and a hard place, the cave and the lion, the stone on top of you. So you're by yourself, you're feeling the pressure and you have to release something that you didn't know you could release. In the spiritual world, we call that the anointing, meaning God's blessing of favor or empowerment of your talent or your gift upon you. And the anointing is paralleled with anointing oil, which is olive oil. What's amazing about olive oil is that when I was in Israel, it was about to be the, the first rain of the latter rains. And so all the olive trees that tell us at the first rain of the latter rain is when they harvest the olives. So what it looks like is they would lay out a, a towel or blanket underneath the olive tree and they would begin to beat the tree. They hit the tree, which is amazing to me that this, this beating happens and all the ripe olives will fall onto the towel. The very first harvest of olives is dedicated to the Lord to make and produce the anointing oil. That oil represents God's touch upon man. As we anoint people with oil, we're representing God's touch upon them or his favor or his empowerment upon them. So take all these first harvests of olives, they'll take them, they'll dedicate them to the Lord, then they put them in a press. And the press is nothing more than a rock and a hard place. They put the olives in the hard place, then they roll the rock over the olives, which then presses upon them and squeezes them to get out of them what they did not know they had in them, to get out of them what was special to everybody else, to get out of them what could be used for God's purposes, to get out of them what could be used to be a blessing to others from God. See, that press is what everybody hates, but is what God uses to produce the anointing. The anointing is the extraordinary potential inside of you. And I'm here to tell you today that you may be going through a pressing moment. You may be between a rock and a hard place. You may be between a rock and a hard place in your house, at your job, at your school, even in your church, in your family. You could be between a rock and a hard place, but I'll tell you that is a beautiful place to be. For when you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, it is the perfect conditions to discover what's really inside of you. So when you find yourself in a place, tell God, bring it on. God, press me, shake me, move me, get out of me, because I know what's inside of me is special. You want to use the gifts, the talents, the personality, the qualities to get out of me, to be a blessing into the world. Most people want the anointing, but they don't want the pressing. Most people want to be the vice president, but they don't want the lion's den. I'm here to tell you, if you're feeling pressed, it is now time to release what God has placed inside of you. And that's what you find with Daniel. All of a sudden, Daniel is the forefront of everything in Persia. He's being hated on by his, his inferiors, his employees. They've tricked the king. Now he's being squeezed in the middle. But it's where we find out who Daniel really is. We find out Daniel is a leader and not just a leader of his people, he's a leader of God for the entire country. At the end of the story in chapter six, the king Darius, who just had people worshiping him, is worshiping God because of Daniel's leadership. And if there's anything that's limited in our country today, we are in a leadership deficit. 
When you look around the world, I can almost diagnose every single problem as a lack of leadership. Self-leadership, community leadership, church leadership, political leadership. And the reason for it is most of us want the platform, but we don't want the pressing. Most of us conform to whatever the culture is saying rather than letting our extraordinary qualities move us out of culture, out of the ordinary. Because listen, culture is ordinary. The world is ordinary. As believers, we're extraordinary. We're supernatural. We're eternal beings. We have God-given purposes and destinies. We're set apart. We're a holy priesthood. We're a chosen people. We're extraordinary. The world is ordinary. And what happens is when we lead, you're going to be set apart. You're going to stand out if you're extraordinary. And here's what happens. The world, once they realize you're special or you're extraordinary, they're going to try to talk you into conforming back to culture. And God doesn't want you to conform to culture. God wants culture to conform to you or conform to leadership. And so you look at our whole political strife. All our politicians do is look at the polls and then change their opinion or change their leadership based on the populace. I'm telling you, the populace will lead you straight to hell. The populace will lead you right away from your destiny. The populace will lead you. Polls, Facebook, they're not leading you to extraordinary. They're leading you to ordinary. And my prayer for you is that you discover your extraordinary. You discover you have Daniel type, type qualities. Here's what Daniel had. Number one, leaders have extraordinary character. Extraordinary character. Why is that? Because character is destiny. Listen when I say this. Character is destiny. You will go nowhere that your character does not take you. You say, well, I know a lot of talented people, they don't have much character and the, you know, they may get there, but they, 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 they do well. No, they all fall at some point. So your character will lead you. Your character is your destiny. When you think about your character, Daniel's character led him as a refugee to becoming vice president. And character is who you are in private, not in public. To be honest, I'm around a lot of ministers there's a whole lot of people that look good on the platform in the pulpit, but very few do the same thing in private. A lot of people can pr pray at church, not many pray at home. A lot of people can read the Bible at church or in Sunday school, not many people read at home. See, a lot of people like the image, but they don't have the character. And your character is your destiny. Your character will take you to wherever it is God wants you to go. If, if your character is not built up, God cannot take you there. John Wynn said, your character and your, and your reputation are different. Your reputation is what people think about you. Your character is who you truly are. We live in a world where, where reputation and image is key. Put forth the best image. You know, put a filter on your Instagram or your Snapchat, make you look better. But that's not who you are. Who you are is when you wake up in the morning with no makeup on. Daniel says he had distinguished character. Distinguished, which means he was set apart. He surpassed everybody else's character. Then it says he has an excellent spirit. The other words, some translations say extraordinary spirit. He had an extraordinary spirit about it, which means his spirit was above and beyond the status quo. His character was above and beyond everybody else's. Then it says he was blameless. It means they could find no fault in him. They looked, 
They inspected him. They looked at his life, looked at his family, looked at everything about it. They could find no fault with him, which means he had no character flaws, no areas of weakness, no areas of intentional sin. His character was upright. Then it says, finally, he was faithful. He was faithful to God in every single thing he did. And he was faithful to the king in everything he did. He's faithful to Nebuchadnezzar before King Darius, then King Darius. Here's how faithful he was. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. King Darius is the king of Persia. Persia took over Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar became, he got killed. And he, before he got killed, he told them, he said, if you want to succeed, make sure Daniel is in your courts. He was so faithful to an enemy king, the other enemy king wanted him in his courts. That's how faithful he was. And it's that type of character that God will use to take you to your destiny. Not your talents, not your gifts, not your charisma, not, not, not your Instagram followers or Facebook followers, but your character will take you to your destiny. And what's important about that is you, you may not be in the right circumstances. You may not have the best upbringing or the best education. You may not be, you know, have the right degrees or whatever it may be. See, we look at everything from the world's point of view. Like if I get the qualifications, if I get the right connections, then I'll find myself in the right circumstances. You may be in the wrong circumstances, but you can always, always build your character. Listen, you may not be able to change the circumstances you are in. You may be going through a divorce and going through a terrible circumstances. You may through a financial downturn and you're struggling financially. You may not be able to change those circumstances, but you can build your character. And when you build your character, your destiny will change in the long run. And so this is the question for you. If your character is your destiny, where is your character right now leading you to? If character is your destiny, where is your character leading you to? Is it going to be a positive direction or a negative direction? Will it be towards God and his kingdom or away from God and his kingdom? Where is it taking you right now? Because your talent may get you in the door, but your character is going to keep you in the room. Listen to me. Your talent may get you the job. Your talent may get you the spouse. Your talent may get you, your good looks may get you the boyfriend or the girlfriend, but your character is what maintains what you get. Your character is how you maintain the promises of God. The Israelites got promises, got success, got victories, but their lack of character, they lost everything. Your character will determine your destiny. Where is your character taking you? Is it distinguished? Is it excellent or extraordinary? Is it blameless? Is it faithful? Because I'm here to tell you, if it's not in this day and age, if there's any fault or flaw in you, people will find it. Just look at, I've seen all these politicians and people 10, 15, 20 years ago. They have a tweet from 20 years ago. Kids are 15, 14 years old. Tweet something stupid and it comes back and they lose their place or their success now. I'm telling you, your character is your destiny. Where is it taking you? Leaders have extraordinary character. Leaders also, because they have extraordinary character, have extraordinary convictions. What does that mean? If you have a belief, if that's who you are in your character, then your beliefs or your actions should line up with that. And conviction is this. What do you believe about who you are? And are you willing to change who you are because there's pressure placed upon you? When people start talking bad about you, will you change who you are? 
When people look at you different or, or culture changes, will you change who you are? See, your character leads to your convictions and you cannot live beyond your convictions. Your convictions are the direction you're taking in life. Your convictions are your beliefs. Your convictions are where you stand. Convictions are the decisions and beliefs and actions you stand for. We live in a country now. No one stands for anything. We stand against everything. Listen, leaders have core convictions that they're not gonna change who they are because other people don't agree with them. In church world, no one has convictions anymore for themselves. We all have convictions for everybody else. Listen to this deeply. In church world, we've gotten to a place we no longer have core convictions for ourselves and who we are, but we have a ton of convictions about everybody else. And that's not leadership, that's manipulation. That means I don't wanna change who I am, so I want everybody else to change because I'm in a place of authority and power. And what happens is when you lose your convictions, you lose who you are because your convictions are core to who you are as a person. And leaders lead from a place of conviction, a desire, a need to maintain who they are and to share that with the world. See, when you have convictions, you'll stand up for those convictions. Here's Daniel. They tell, you can't pray anymore. He goes right back the next day and keeps doing what he was doing before. He said continually, just like he'd done previously, he started praying and praising before. He's not gonna change his conviction about his faith because he knows his faith is what got him there anyway. And when you realize if you change who you are, that's where the battle is. The world is trying to get you to conform to them. God's trying to get you to conform to him. And your convictions are necessary. You can't parent your kids without convictions. You can't maintain your marriage without conviction. You can't manage your finances without conviction. You can't worship God without conviction. Your convictions are what you stand for and where you stand. And most of us don't know what our convictions are. And I'm gonna tell you, here's how to determine what your convictions are. Many times you won't discover your convictions until somebody steps all over them. You won't discover your convictions until somebody presses on them or crosses the line because your convictions are your boundaries. And somebody will just step on them and press on them and you'll get mad and you'll get angry. I learned this probably like, I don't know how long ago it was, more than 10 years ago, men ministry, my first church, I'm on the pastoral team. Our senior pastor had a moral failure, had a DUI. And so the denominational official came into the room. So the next day we're at church, we're in this conference room, sitting at this table. And I'm sitting there, I kind of feel like Daniel, I'm an outsider. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't go through the whole network thing, like literally, Pastor saw a call upon my life, brought me into ministry. So I'm sitting at this conference table. We'd seen some things with Pastor that were suspicious. No one really knew what was going on. So this denominational official sat at the end of the table and he says, hey, you know, you know your senior pastor, like, he had too much stress on him. Y'all didn't help him enough. He was real busy. He was real stressed out. He needed a moment to get away and he found that moment in a bottle, right? So this guy's trying to tell me that this one time he had a drink, he happened to drive, happened to get a DUI that time. I didn't grow up in church. I know how crime works. Nobody gets caught the first time. So I'm in this position where I'm getting very angry, very frustrated. I'm sitting at the conference table. I'm looking around this conference table. Everybody else on staff with me, this denominational official, and I'm making this decision. Do I stand up for truth or do I back down from it? I remember I stood up, I said, excuse me. I said, so this is just a one-time event? I said, because we all saw things that, that didn't look kosher. And I was like, I, I don't know how things work in church, but 
in the world, no one gets caught the first time. And this dude pushes back from the table and he says, well, you know, we've been knowing it's going, been going on for at least six months. You just said it's a one-time thing. And so I'm from the belief, if you lie, you are a liar. You can call that pragmatic or whatever. I believe that's a principle. What I realized was that I had some core values that are being stomped all over by people in leadership. What I realized was truth is a value to me. I want the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I think truth should be protected, not neglected. Also, integrity. I was frustrated with my pastor. I had lunch with him. I said, I'm so frustrated. And I was angry, I was mad, I was messed up. And I said, I'm frustrated. I was like, we carry the gospel as pastors. The precious message of the gospel. Like if my story is so nasty and dirty and ruined and rotten and evil, and it was the gospel that saved me. And people don't reject the gospel, they reject the people that present the gospel. And we call that integrity, that the message you preach must line up with the life you live or people won't believe the message. And I realized integrity is a core value to me. And also in that season, so I'm frustrated, I'm mad. Then I realized people are valuable to me. Like the staff know, I don't get angry. I'm not an angry person, I don't get mad, I lose my temper. But if somebody mistreats a person, especially somebody who can't help themselves, you better help yourself find a way out quick because I will lose my temper quickly. And the reason for that is I believe people are valuable. I believe God died for them. I believe God loves them. And so for people to mistreat other people, it's a core conviction to me. I have to stand up. Convictions are important. You will always lead out of your convictions. Always. Here's Daniel. He's in these convictions and he says, what should I do? I have to stand up for him. And Dr. King says, it's not in moments of comfort or convenience that you find out who really believes in what they believe in. It's in moments of pressure and persecution that you find out what people truly believe. The great prophet Kanye West said, everybody thinks they're real till it comes time to appraise it. Meaning everybody's real until something happens where you get to see the real. Then you discover what's real. Here is Daniel, he has to make a decision. Do I stand up and keep doing what I've been doing? Do I stand up for this conviction that God is my king, not Darius? Do I stand up for my, for my, my faith that, that Darius is not my king, that President Trump is not my king, that President Obama is not my king, that Mayor Holt is not my king, and say that, that God is my king, the living God is my king. He had to make a conviction. He had to stand for one or the other. He's either going to conform to Darius and worship him or keep worshiping his king. So he, goes, he went up and prayed, looked out the window and prayed over the city. He prays, he thanked God, he worshiped God over the city. The city that wanted to kill him and crucify him. Then it said he made petitions. He requested God's grace and favor. Before he faced alliance, he was already praying for God's grace upon him. He stood for what God would have him stand for. And I was reading this, I was thinking, there's a youth pastor that was working for us back in Nashville. And he was dating a girl. She really hadn't had much church experience. She'd gotten saved, really sweet girl. And, didn't understand anything about church. So she's about to marry a youth pastor, be a pastor's wife, and Toy starts spending time with her. They were at lunch. While they're at lunch, she's like, hey, I love God. And she's like, the worship thing, like, I wanna raise my hands, I'm just scared to raise my hands. And so Toy's like, honey, like, you don't gotta be scared to raise your hands, it's just lifting up adoration to God. It's saying, I worship my dad, reaching out to heaven, giving him adoration, giving him praise. And she's like, I know, but I'm just so nervous to do it. 
Toy gets up out of her seat of the restaurant and lifts her hands in the restaurant and starts praising God in the restaurant. And this little 20-year-old pastor's wife was like, you can do that here? Toy's like, baby, if you can't do it here, you shouldn't do it at church. Because your conviction should be as strong outside of the church as they are inside the church. There's too many people who believe that sin is wrong in Sunday morning. They don't believe it's so wrong on Friday night. See, your convictions will determine who you are. Your convictions are what stands you out from. It was Daniel's convictions that moved him out of the crowd into leadership. And when you get to that place, here's what's going to happen. People are going to start to hate you because you expose their ordinary complacency. As soon as Daniel stood up in that window and started worshiping God, all of a sudden his little, these little minions came back to King Darius. Oh, King Darius, living king. Didn't you make a law that nobody should pray to anybody but you for 30 days? See, once you start moving forward into your destiny, there will always be haters that come to bring you back. Because people hate it when their laziness is exposed by somebody else's passion. People hate it when somebody else's righteous standard exposes somebody's sinful standard. Everybody hates it when somebody starts living right and exposes everybody living wrong. Everybody hates it when somebody starts running when everybody else is walking. You hate it when somebody exposes what you aren't willing to sacrifice. Daniel's an extraordinary character, extraordinary conviction. All of a sudden, everybody else realizes we ain't got it. We ain't got it like Daniel. And they start hating on him. How'd they hate on him? He's not like one of us, O King Darius. He's an exile from Judah. See, as soon as you start living in your destiny, people will start telling you you're not like them. And that's perfect because you're not. You know what we tell our kids? You go to Florence High School, you go to Florence Middle School, that's great. You're not like any of those kids. You're God's chosen people. And don't you ever sacrifice God's chosen nature for the populace of the crowd at school. See, once you start becoming who you are, people say, well, they're not like us. Or they'll say, well, they're just goody two-shoes or they're, they're holy rollers. No, I'm just holy. Like I'm trying to improve my character. I'm trying to reflect God's image. See, once you start becoming special, everyone who's not special gets frustrated and angry. That's a good place to be. God didn't call you to be just like the world. He called you to stand out in the world. He didn't call you to blend into the darkness. He called you to be the light in the darkness. Once you start becoming who God called you to be, everybody will start saying, he's not like one of us. He's not the right race. Look at Kanye West. He's not like one of us. He's not a church person. Thank God. Like we got enough church people. You know what they do? They don't do anything. They sit on the pulpit every Sunday morning and they go live their life for themselves all week long. You have somebody who's given up his entire purpose and career to reflect God's image and to proclaim God's message and he's doing it in a way that's different. Everybody's like, he's not like one of us. Good. God didn't call you to be like them. God called you to be like him. He's not like one of us. And they said, oh, and he disrespected you, O king. Yes, because he's respecting his king, he can't respect you at the same time. See, once that happens, the haters start coming out. Listen, if you have enemies, good. The only people that have enemies are people that stand up and stand out. Somebody's gonna be your enemy. It's impossible to live life and not have enemies. Make sure you have the right ones. Make sure your enemies are the world and not God. 
Listen to me. He had to make a decision. Am I going to stand back and conform to, to Babylon and Persia or am I going to conform to God? Whose side am I going to be on? He realized God's the one that brought me out of exile. God's the one that brought me out of prison. God's the one that brought me into the palace. God's the one who made me a vice president. God's the one who gave me authority. God's the one who gave me this purpose. God's the one who gave me this destiny. Why would I turn my back on him now? See, you're going to have enemies. Choose them wisely. So my question would be, what are you standing up for? What convictions do you have in your heart? And have you started to blend them or conform them to the people around you? Or your convictions starting to expose the lack of convictions around you? Your convictions God has given you as a place of passion to lead from. Starting in your household. Everybody in this room is like, moms, you're called to lead your children in your household. Husbands, men, you're called to lead your house and lead your business. Everyone in this room is a leader of some sort and you lead from your convictions. What are your convictions? Are you standing for them or are you just going through the, your convictions are like the rudder of a ship. Your convictions are what steer you toward your destiny. If you have no convictions, you have no rudder, you'll get tossed to and fro by whatever's going on around you. And you'll start to blend in and conform to the waves rather than going through the waves to your place of purpose. And then number three, if you have convictions, they'll always lead to extraordinary courage. So extraordinary character will lead to extraordinary convictions because you have to have, that character will produce something you believe in. Those, those beliefs will have you stand up for those beliefs, but then it takes courage to live out those convictions. Daniel was living out his convictions. He said, you know what? If I have to go to the lion's den, that's fine. If I have to be between a rock and a hard place, that's fine. I, I'm okay with that. Because see, if you're a leader, you're always gonna find yourself in extraordinary circumstances. And there's a quote that I, I, I live by. It says, any sailor can steer the ship in calm seas, but it takes a leader to steer the ship in rough seas. And that's a, a principle for me that God could use anybody to steer the, the ship or steer his church in calm seas of the world. But he's calling me to steer the ship in the midst of chaos in a world of the waves crashing in. It takes a leader. Extraordinary circumstances calls up extraordinary people. God is saying you can be that person. It takes courage to do that. And courage is not the absence of fear. Courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. You can be courageous and be shaking in your boots. You can be courageous, be sweating to death. You can be courageous and be afraid of everything around the corner. You can be courageous and still be afraid. But courage is pressing through your fears to your purpose. And what it means is you're more afraid of not fulfilling your purpose than you are what you're afraid of. Meaning, I don't know, I have too much regret. What's online is too important to me to be afraid of what's in front of me. And, and fear, as a leader, is a common characteristic. There is not a leader who does not face fear. Like I try to lead my household well. I try to lead it. Last year, I get a phone call at the office and I'm, it's FaceTime. And the kids are like, dad, 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 there's a snake in the house. I'm scared to death of snakes. So I'm thinking, why did you call like Cook's Pest Control? Or why are you, call, why are you calling me? And they're on FaceTime, dad, dad, I'm going to get it. And I, I can't tell what kind of snake it is in the FaceTime video. I can't tell if it's a copperhead or like a, a rat snake. I can't tell. It's, and so I'm looking at it. It's all coiled up in the corner. I was like, where's it at? And they're like, well, it's in the, in the basement bathroom by the girls' room. I'm thinking, well, we might just lose two kids. We still have two left. That's okay. <laughs> so I had to make this decision. Like, one, I can't let my kids be the leader of my house. Like, I have to go home and take care of my house. 
I drove from here all over my house, 15 minutes, sweating to death, praying. Like, God, let the snake be gone by now. Let the snake be gone. But the, really the fear was, if I didn't get the snake out of the basement, it could get to my room and I'm never going back in there. So I go home, I get a Home Depot bucket and I get the tongs from the grill. Like, walk downstairs, I got this. I go down there, I'm completely just, I thought it was gonna be this huge, you know, anaconda boa constrictor in the basement. It's a little bitty baby snake. I'm still scared to death. I said, watch it, I got this. I reached over there behind the toilet with them tongs. I picked that thing up like a hot dog off the grill, threw it in the bucket. I said, I got y'all. I was scared to death, but I knew my purpose was to be the leader of my family, which was more important than the fear I was facing. I give RJ the bucket. I'm like, I'm going back to work. I was victorious. I'm going back to work. RJ, take this down by the river, throw it, throw it in the creek or whatever. I go, I go to work, come back home. I said, RJ, where'd you throw the snake out at? He's like, well, you know, there's a problem. I'm like, problem? Like, like, I crossed over my fear. What is the problem? He says, well, I was taking it and I was running with the bucket in my hand and the snake kind of flew out of the bucket. Was, so my question was, how far away from the house were you? I tell you that to say, you can be scared to death to stand up for what you're called to stand up for. You could be scared to death to walk in your death. You could be scared to death of whatever the consequences are. You could be scared to death to finally quit conforming to the people around you and start to stand out as the light of you. You could be scared to death to become. I, I know there's pressure from every side. Kids in school, you could be scared to death to stand up for who you are. The pressure is your friends are telling you one thing and you have to either decide to conform to them or to Jesus and say, well, I'll be all by myself if I stand by myself. Good, be courageous enough to say, if I have to stand alone, God will bring somebody by my side. If he doesn't bring somebody by my side, God will stand with me. Some of you in business, you have the pressure of conforming your business to, to the worldly tactics or fail, I'm telling you, stand up for what is right in your business and you'll see God bless your business. See, leaders are never ordinary. They're extraordinary. They're courageous. They have character. See, it wasn't Daniel's talent that got him into the palace. It was his character that got him into the palace. It wasn't his talent that got him hated on. It was his character. His character demonstrated his convictions. Then he goes into the lion's den. He's trapped with this lion. Sealed off hole in the ground, rocky cave, another rock placed on top of it, just him and the lion. That's not a good place to be. But I'm here to tell you, if it's just you and your enemy by yourself, you already have the enemy outnumbered because God has never left you nor forsaken you. He says, he says, Daniel, has your God delivered you? He said, yes, O king. God sent an angel to close the mouth of the lion because I've been blameless. See, Daniel's character got him into the pit, but his character got him out of the pit. One author said that the lions wanted nothing of Daniel because he was nothing but grit and backbone. There was no meat to eat off him because he was full of strength and power and grit. I'm here to tell you that maybe, just maybe, you're between a rock and a hard place because God knows there's something in you he wants to get out of you. Maybe it feels like you're trapped. 
because God is trying to expose some things in you, he wants to rise to the surface. Maybe, just maybe, you're feeling pressure from friends and family, trying to tell you who you are and who you're not, because God is trying to tell you who you are. And maybe you're more extraordinary than you realize. Maybe you're more of a leader than you realize. Maybe there's more in you than you ever dreamed or imagined. Maybe, just maybe, God believes in you more than you believe in you. And he uses extraordinary circumstances to help ordinary people to discover their extraordinary potential. And that's talking about you. If you want every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. God has placed things in you. You were made in the image of God. In that image, he's placed the leadership spirit within you with extraordinary potential, extraordinary qualities, extraordinary gifts, extraordinary talents but they're only exposed through the pressing, squeezing moments of life. And that may be what's going on right now in your life. For some of you, that pressing happens, it's gonna be a reality moment. Some of you are gonna discover, maybe there's not much good in me. Maybe there is that leadership spirit, meaning maybe I'm not safe, maybe when I get squeezed, it looks like the world coming out of me rather than Jesus. And that's because the gospel isn't a gospel of behavioral modification. It's one of an internal transformation. Meaning God takes your spirit out and places his spirit in. So when you squeeze whatever's on that vessel, that he'll come out rather than you. But some of you, every time life begins to squeeze you, sin, Fear, shame, guilt, worry, condemnation comes out of you. And if that's coming out of you, I'm here to tell you, you're probably not saved. That you need an internal transformation so that when you're squeezed, hope, love, joy, peace, grace, flood out of your soul into your situation. If that's you, you say, you know what, I'm being squeezed, I'm realizing I need God to exchange and change in me my internal spirit. I need to be made new and born again in Christ's image. That's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, just for a moment. One private moment at church. That's you, I'm not gonna have you come forward or stand up. Uh, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. You say, you know, that's me. I've been squeezed and I realized I, I need to exchange my spirit, my life for God's life. That's you, just slip your hand up real quick. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. After you raise them, you put them down. Anybody else? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that we don't have to build up our own lives. We don't have to build up our own selves. We don't have to try to earn your love or improve ourselves for you. That, Father, we know it's through an open surrender, an open sacrifice that we give up our lives, we give up our pursuits, we give up our dreams so that you can give us everything that Christ has. That when we stand before you, you see your son, Jesus. So Father, we thank you for renewal. We thank you for a new birth. Every single person raise their hand, Father, they're confessing. Father, I need you. I've sinned against you. I've rebelled against you. I need you to take from me what's inside of me and give me everything that's inside of Jesus. Father, I pray that you seal this moment with your Holy Spirit. Confirm your word with your spirit and grant them peace and hope and joy and love and mercy and grace that floods into their life, into their heart, into their soul and into their mind. In Jesus' name. Second question, if you said, you know what, I'm just going through pressing in my life. I feel trapped, I feel shaken, I feel squeezed, 
and I need God to help me realize what's extraordinary about me and what he wants to do in this situation and scenario. We're gonna pray for you a minute. If you would, just stand to your feet all over the room. And if I can have all the ministry team or altar workers come down front, we're gonna go into one last song real quick. And the altar team comes forward. If you need prayer for anything, you say, you know what? I'm, a, I'm in a pressing moment or pressing season. You need prayer for that. There to pray. If you need prayer for healing, prayer for your family. You just said, I need somebody to pray for me and love on me and encourage me. That's what they're here for in this last song. And after the song's over, Pastor Anthony will close out. But I love you guys. I thank you so much for being an amazing, awesome church. Uh, we were at church last weekend, a great church, but you miss being at home. And we have an incredible church here. And I'm just thankful for you guys. I love you and I'll see you tonight.